Welcome back, Serial Killers, to the new Serial Killer Radio Hour. Today, I have one of my favorite people who uh, is just a joy to watch on TikTok. And really, the days that I go, why am I still doing theater? This person's content just kind of keeps me there. Everyone, I need to introduce you to the Broadway Bob. Bob, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Maddie. I'm excited to be here. Well, I am glad that I was able to get you. So why don't you tell everyone at home a little bit about your background and who you are? Yeah, sure. Um, so first and foremost, I'm a fan of theater. Um, I, uh, I've loved theater ever since I was a kid, like most theater nerds have. Uh, I've been obsessed with it. And um, I, I work in corporate America, but for a, big, for a good chunk of my adult life, I decided to take a hobby of taking my love of theater and my love of writing and turning it into a blog which I wrote about theater and I live in Chicago and I wrote about Chicago theater and I still live in Chicago and Chicago theater scene, I think is frankly some of the best theater. Broadway is fantastic. I know my name's Broadway Bob, but I love Chicago theater. It's, it's just off the chain with so much variety and diversity and it's affordable, all of that stuff. So I was writing about Chicago theater and then I took that writing into, um, into reviewing and writing for other sites such as the Huffington Post and for NBC5 Chicago and for Chicago Convention and Tourism Bureau, Edge Chicago, all these publications. And I did that for about five years. One year I saw, I think, over 120 shows. It was pretty crazy. Um, and top of a full-time job. And then, um, and then I kind of got burned out and I kind of stepped away and said, I'm losing the focus here of like, I love theater now it's becoming, I feel I have to turn something around. I'm not really enjoying what I'm seeing, even though I should, because I just was getting burned out as you do. And um, and I stepped away. And then I kind of, um, I still love theater. I still win as much as possible. And then during the pandemic, as most people, I was like, well, what's TikTok? I've heard about it. Let's see what we can do with this thing. And, um, and then I just started posting my silly thoughts on shows. And I think that theater TikTok was just finding its audience at that point. I think I hit right at the right time. And there are, there are a ton of great theater content people on, on TikTok. And I'm just one of many. But it's, uh, it's fun to finally find a tribe of people who are similar minded. And you have a conversation with them. You learn from each other. I've learned so much about theater, about myself, about the the industry and i don't work in the industry i'm a fan i want to make that very clear but i'm also now becoming an advocate for the industry because i feel that as a fan i want to see theater succeed um so it's become this thing that was like this very pure like here are the shows and performers i like to like i'm getting really upset about what's happening in theater right now and i need to talk about it and i think um and and that's just coming from a place of fandom i think and, and people responded and not that like I'm doing it for clout I'm doing it simply because I want to talk about it um and it's it's just been it's been really eye-opening and I've learned a lot about um a lot about myself and a lot about it's made me reevaluate what I like and don't like about theater and where I where the next generation of theater is going so in a nutshell that's who I am <laughs> I love that. Well, I think what's really important, and a lot of theater people forget this, especially I'm a, I started off as a performer. I'm on the technician side of things now. And a lot of times uh, we're sitting in a room full of technicians and everybody's gruff and they're just like, well, fuck the audience. And I was like, but 
we need them because otherwise we're literally just screaming into a black void like the audience is that last really important part of the puzzle that is added for a show mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. the audience actually funny enough can make or break a show because a lot of times a show might be absolute trash or not that important but like the audience loves it so yeah. it runs forever i mean but also it's, look it, like we sorry, it's, it's, it's so true it is so true and i think and, uh, and I love the fact that you like work behind the scenes because those people are just as essential too. We oftentimes yeah. don't give credit for those people, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We talk about what we see on the stage, but people like you that do what you do are what makes theater happen. And the thing about theater audiences, first, I think it was just really hard for, I think a lot of performers mm-hmm. with COVID and not having an audience, but still doing their stuff virtually. Yeah. So had a lot of like empathy and respect for that. But then as a theater reviewer, it was interesting to go see shows because I would see because the theater community in Chicago is big, but also very small mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I was seeing them on press nights. I was usually mm-hmm. seeing shows with the same cluster of people every single night because they were all the same industry people, the same reviewers. Yep. So it was the same type of environment. And it, that was also very bizarre, but there were a few times that I would like break out and see a show not on press night. And I remember one night I saw this show and it was a really good show. It was fun cast of 30 people and the um the director who i knew through a friend came out before the show and said hey i want you to know tonight's a bit of a lighter house um and we are going to still do the show but um you're our only audience member and i <laughs> and i said oh okay well I, okay so Great. i sat in a theater uh, entire theater as a solo person watching a cast of 30 like sing and dance their hearts out and that I- was I love that though. Like I (laughs) kind of like the deepest part of me loves that. Cause like I I'm Orlando based. And so during the pandemic, we didn't really have a shutdown section. Uh, We were closed for a bit, but you know, theme parks, everything reopened, but you know, there were still parts of me where like, you know, if I had to work at Disney world, I was like, well, crap, what do I do? And so like going to see a film when our movie theaters reopened here, we didn't have anything new. So it was all, uh, um, revival things, but like the day I got to walk in and watch the new hope all alone in a giant movie theater for $5. And I went, I kind of never want this to go back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's those I, weird I think, moments. I think having a, a theater, a movie theater yourself, is is probably really cush. I would love that. But having a bunch of earnest actors breaking the fourth wall and looking out on the audience at you, and you're like, "I'm trying to give." You're as the much only one. Yeah, that's that's got to be <laughs> killer for anyone on stage. And you know, they're like, "I'm going to look everywhere, or we're all going to look at the one guy in the house." Yeah, but I. I I mean, kudos to them, though. They did a fantastic job. I love that. For for what they did, yeah. So I want to turn on the time machine to start our conversation. Just go back back to Baby Bob. Go back to Little Bob. Um, Yeah. And so on my main show, we explore properties that artists are really nostalgic for. Um, sure. So I want you to walk me through some of the moments that you, your earliest moments that you can think back and connect yourself to like a love for theater, a love for performance, musical specifically. Where, where yeah. are some of those moments that like your earliest part of you connected with? Oh gosh, how fun. I um, know that's a broad question. No, it's, I love it though, because I have to whittle it down to so many things, but I think there's a few that come immediately to mind. Um, one of them was, well, the very first um, uh, Broadway show I saw was Cats. And I was, um, I think, 10 years old. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, it was on Broadway and it blew my mind. It just blew my mind. I didn't know what was happening. I remember that my mom sat me and my sister down at the table at the big boy in Alpena, Michigan, where I grew up, the small town in northern Michigan, and said, okay, we have two options to see. And none of us knew anything about Broadway. So, like, we can either see a chorus line or cats. And we're like, uh, I guess cats, because we don't, what's a chorus line, right? We're mm-hmm, like, that mm-hmm. show about cats. Sure, that sounds fun. Could you imagine, though, she took, like, my 10-year-old ass to a chorus line and, like, there's like some woman singing about tits and ass and then like another guy singing about like getting an erection like it would have been a lot very different show very different show yeah Mm -hmm. but we saw cats and it blew my mind and i i I still i talk about this day that it was the show that like made me um i still like i still when i think about that moment like this is how much it it impacted me when i think about that moment i still get that little childhood childhood joy that you Mm -hmm. kind of lose as you get an adult like that glimmer is still back there when i think about Mm -hmm. that like when i see clips of the original production i'm like oh my god i'm getting that feeling again that magical feeling um i'm sure if i saw cats as an adult with none of that context i'd be like what the hell is this show but yeah for me it was like that so that was the big one for me um was cats uh then it was probably um <laughs> I know you're a Disney fan. One of my um one of my things I watched over and over and over again as a kid that I recently discovered on YouTube that impacted my sensibilities was the 30th anniversary of Disneyland mm-hmm. special and it featured John Forsythe and a young Drew Barrymore who's mm-hmm. around my age. Um so she was my age in it. So there was mm-hmm. Drew Barrymore, John Forsythe, and had like Marie Osmond, Peter Allen, Debbie Allen, the the like the cast of like everything from like that moment of like 1985, yeah. I believe, was like you've you've mm-hmm. probably seen this thing, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it was something wild. else. It is absolutely because it's right after Eisner took over as the CEO. So like it it is a very different Disney at that point, but it is wild. Yeah. It's so entertaining. It's, 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 it's great. And I'm so glad I found it on YouTube again. Cause it just brought me back to that childhood craziness. So like, I think the tackiness of that mm-hmm. and the wonderment of that, along with it, the, the craziness of cats kind of formulated mm-hmm. who I was as a, like a budding gay theater kid. Um, and then, and then the other one that I loved a lot, which formulated, I think my musical sensibilities was, um, a 1985 Alice in Wonderland TV movie that was a two-parter. Do you know about this? Is is that the uh, is that the today for? Uh, I'm sorry, uh, the Carol jam, Channing. Jam, jam, yeah, jam, jam, tomorrow, jam yesterday, but never jam today, which is wild. If anyone out there has never seen this, when she turns into a sheep, forget about it. It's, it's I was fuel. done. I, yeah. Yes, absolutely. So it that is... again, stat cast. It had Sammy Davis Jr. Mm-hmm. It had it had Emma Jean Coco. It had Red Buttons. It had Anne Jillian, Carol Channing. Like all of these, like vaudevillian, like yep. like 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 actors who were like. Mm-hmm. And I think it it might have been the same guy who produced the Alice in Wonderland that also maybe had some hand in like Disneyland. I don't know, like the same type of sense, like tone. Mm-hmm. So that there's mm-hmm. those three things. And the final one I'll mention that really has I think formulated because I have a whole podcast devoted to it is Sunset Boulevard, which mm-hmm. is the musical mm-hmm. um, that Angela Weber wrote in the early '90s based on the Billy Wilder film, and it was my obsession for most of my teenage years for whatever unknown reason it was. And, um, and I, like, like I said, I have, it's called the Sunset Project where I talk about my 
experience with that show as a kid, as well as the drama behind the making of that musical, mm -hmm. as well as the show itself. And um, I think that kind of formulated my love of big musicals featuring strong female leads at the center, belting in a staircase, losing their minds. Like I mean, anything that involves a, a, a leading lady losing her mind in the final act of the show, I'm it's like my cat. So yep. I, absolutely. <laughs> I, I am right there with you. It's so interesting because one of my um, we didn't I come from big evangelical family. And so but we were very musical in church. We did big musicals because uh, it was 3000 people. We were near D.C., but we did like Broadway style Christmas and Easter. Like I didn't yes. realize it at the time, but like it was Broadway. Um, and uh, uh, I was never fortunate enough when the, the adult choir would go tour. They would they'd be like, oh, well, the tours are coming through dc y'all want to go see phantom of the opera and my mom was like sweetie we can't and i went all right okay but we had pbs and i remember every fundraiser the 1998 pro shot of cats would be shown at least twice during every fundraiser and little little queer me like I would just sit there and my mom would be like, oh, cats again. And I go, yes. And it's really because I fell asleep about halfway through it at home the first two times. Um, <laughs> but like it is, I have to say that cats is a very pinnacle developmental in my taste of musical theater, oddly enough. But just because like the first musical film I was ever set down in front of was a Betamax of Xanadu. So like combine that and, the, and cats. It's and very similar. It's a very oh, similar. Very similar tone, but it's it's just something anytime someone's like, I hate cats and I go, how dare you? I mean, I get it, but like, how dare you? I know. It's, that's the same thing I have. I don't think, I'm not sure how old you are, but I, I'm assuming you're around my age. Yeah, yeah, that, we're, we're that, within a couple age of each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that people, like theater gays like ourselves, I think like Cats is the show that like, for mm -hmm. whatever reason, because it was the show at that point. Oh, I think yeah. a lot of us, it's like a little sliver of time of people mm -hmm. that love Cats. And then you have the people who are younger now who just get it because they like weird stuff mm -hmm. and nostalgic stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, no, it wasn't nostalgic when we were young. It was, no. the, it was the hit show. It's true. <laughs> but then also on the other hand, I went, okay, Cats is great, but have you guys heard of Starlight Express? Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, it's Well, so, you know, you've talked about Sunset Boulevard, which is one of my favorites, and I was so excited that I got to see the revival when it was on Broadway last with, with Glenn Close. Uh, too. But, yeah. but I also understand how it could appeal to you because like Joe is a gorgeous man and then like Norma just comes down and beaded gorgeousness and like right. those those costumes alone sell that show with a, you know a floor-to-ceiling organ like how could that just not be appealing to any young queerling it is it is a show about well, I think there's that, like certainly you have Hunky Joe and you have like the whole thing around being like, a, like I think gay men are attracted to like, to, to big, mm -hmm. to big, big musicals. But I think there's something also about the character of Norma Desmond being kind of a disenfranchised mm -hmm. person, mm -hmm. which I think resonates with, with gay people as well. Like she's, she's trying to find her place and trying mm -hmm. to reclaim her strength. And there's something about that. I think at the time we didn't, we didn't articulate that as gay men, young mm -hmm. gay, like, Young, young gay youths but we were attracted to someone who 
was fearless in their own self, which mm-hmm. is really hard to be. And she also, uh, the way Glenn Close played her at that in the production, she looked like a drag queen. So oh, was, of course, yeah. Too. Well, <laughs> it, I think it's always weird. That was before we ha- we could turn on a TV or turn on uh, a film, go see something where we saw ourselves represented. And for some yeah. reason, women who were having to fight, demand their place in the world was something yeah. that, you know, we'd seen Larry, you know, if, if you were lucky enough to understand the news or have seen the news, you know, it's what Larry Kramer, it's what activists were doing, but because queer people still weren't in the media, we weren't seeing that. So I yeah. think those were the next closest, or it's like why generations of people connect with Reba's TV show. Uh, now, you know, cause that's gotten its little resurgence on TikTok. Yeah, but, um, it has, right. Uh, what did you think of the revival with Glenn Close? Is it the first time you've seen it? It is the first time the I've show? seen the show. Um, you know, it's another, it's, it's a lot like Weber where you get about three quarters into the show and you're just like, okay, come on. Okay. Come on. Okay. Come on. Yeah. I mean, there's a was, lot of filler. There's, there's so filler. much filler in that show. I yeah. saw Wednesday matinee. So Glenn's acting was at 150, but vocally was at like a 14. Um, <laughs> but like, oh. I wasn't, I wasn't mad at it because I was getting to watch Glenn close perform and I'd gotten lottery seats, but because it was a Wednesday in March, I was 14 feet from that stage. And so literally being in the sphere of her vocal energy was just, you know, it's one of those things that it was still magnanimous to see. Like, yeah, she was electric and she gets that character. Like she knows every beat of that character. Mm -hmm. And I, and I was just, I was honored to see her do that role after having fallen in love with her Mm -hmm. performance as a kid. But it was also, I thought it was, it was a concert. It felt like it was a production. Yes. And uh, there was, there was one part that it's it's very shady to say, but it was um at the end of the show when she's like, and now, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. You know that part? Yeah. And like she and we had seats in the palace in the balcony. It was really empty. The theater was empty mm-hmm. that day. It was probably a Wednesday matinee, I'm assuming. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so like this empty balcony that we're sitting in, and someone in the lobby of the balcony flushed a toilet right at the moment when she said and now mr demille flush and it like reverberates all through the palace theater <laughs> like it was like someone put a microphone up to the toilet and it yep. went through the sound system it was that loud and um that was i think that encapsulated my sunset Boulevard revival experience <laughs> i i agree but something else i loved which you don't always get from an american like a broadway ensemble everybody on stage was giving so much because you could tell they were just so happy to be in the show with glenn close doing yes. the show yeah. and even though i was watching a matinee they were at like 150 percent as well which again i appreciate when because like my lottery ticket was 60 dollars. like i was That's like amazing I mean, but it was still a very, you know, back when I was like, why aren't these the old wicked uh, $25 lottery seats? These are $60 for lottery. <laughs> um, I mean, I was still very happy I saw it. It's because it's, you know, rarely do we get to see those iconic shows with the same actors yeah. in them. And, you know, that was one of and, those and, points. And I, would, and I would also say that the, just the one thing before we, we mm-hmm. move on to the, the, something else, but I saw um, the understudy for... Um, <gasps> Betty Schaefer, who was mm-hmm. Brittany Coleman, mm-hmm. who was African-American. And that was really cool to see that role, the representation of that yeah. role. And she was flawless. It's 
was she also a glenda um yeah, yeah. She's currently glenda yeah yeah, yeah. she's yeah, currently she's a the, standby mm-hmm, yeah mm-hmm. she was fantastic so i was really delighted to see yeah. her too on the show that's yeah and you know it's hard to transition uh you know it's hard to bring up sunset without transitioning to my next question for you which is sure something you are very vocal about your love for and it's also one of my huge obsessions is uh patty lapone oh i'm um, so happy you like her oh she, <laughs> uh you know i feel like every time i talk with somebody it's always about the first time you've seen patty in something and for me her mama rose was the first time i got to see her on stage in the front row of those student rush seats what a like, way to experience her the first time and it was wow. the first time i it was the first time i saw leanne larkin first time i saw laura bonanti like on what, you know tell me what it was like tell me what the, it what the was experience was like i mean when i tell you that now i've had other mentors in school and things since then that went oh it's the worst production of gypsy ever oh wow. i i know i was like stepping an old queen about this but like <laughs> i it was one of those things where I finally understood some moments in the show, like Leanne Larkin's cold, dege- like cold, disconnected June mm-hmm. made that role make so much sense because you could you could feel Arthur Lawrence all over the the piece, which yeah. I think was so important. And you, yeah. it was one yeah. of the last times where it's not Patty playing, it's not Patty being a role, it was Patty giving us a performance which i thought yeah. was very very different for her because you know you hit a point in your career and meryl's doing it as well but it's like if i had their status i would do the same thing but i think a lot of times and this is how i kind of feel about patty's joanne is it's like we're watching patty caricature something where sure. this you could tell she was still funneling every bit of her soul into um yeah yeah. And uh, I got to see Rose's turn in the blue dress instead of the red dress. So, because I, I didn't saw know during, she had a blue dress. Well, it was the uh, during previews, they did the because the poster, they yeah. uh, unfortunately, the original Rose's turn dress was that cerulean blue that, or uh, like French it blue was, that was very It was popular a crazy the time. Photo from the Ravinia production, which I saw all yes. performances of. Yeah. And yeah. then the only problem was the background of that gypsy poster was four shades of blue. Yes. So yes. they then went, oh, oh no. And so with both marketing <laughs> and the show, they flipped her from the blue dress to the burgundy dress. And oh, wow. uh, cause even the show card I have somewhere, it is her in the blue instead of in the red. Yeah, they so, used that show card with the blue at the first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, but, what a, and what was her roses turn like? Was it like? Was she still figuring it out? Was she like it was it? so we were so uh, thankfully this has been after the run out of town and then this was after City Center. This yeah. was the second week of of previews, so you yeah. could feel it was solidifying. Um you could tell that she was still exploring a little, but there were she was very big to then very small to very big. And then when I saw yeah. it later in the run, she gotten a little more consistent through, but I liked knowing those moments that I could tell she was still exploring a little, it wasn't yeah. frozen. So we could still, but it was very, we could see her. And maybe it's also cause I was so close in her face. You could watch her go through all of Rose's life in those mm-hmm. four minutes, which I think is a very important dramaturgical thing for Rose. Um, yeah, yeah. and, and when she did the, um, 
when she was like younger rose like she really like wilted into it and like really mm-hmm. played up an affected tone which she didn't do later in the run um now granted i will say that's just anybody out there rolling their eyes and going well but it's a tiring role like rose is on stage the whole show it's an exhausting yeah. role um yeah. but like she was out of breath at the end of the show um yeah. and so it was one of those things it was truly amazing to watch to then watch the so subtle subdued energy of laura bonanti that swelled into that like launched patty into that moment of her rose's turn and laura i know was a lo- so good in that so, so good. good and i was not so expecting good. that from her and i was just blown away by laura i was expecting patty to be great because mm-hmm. she is but i'd never saw it on broadway that's one of my biggest regrets i saw mm-hmm. the ravinia production mm-hmm. in chicago um, which was like the thing because you probably know yep. the whole story how she was blacklisted from mm-hmm, doing the show by mm-hmm. Arthur Lawrence and whatever and then she got to do it with Vinia because of a loophole because it was a concert not actually a stage performance mm-hmm. um, so we're like every gay flew to like to, of course to Highland Park Illinois to go see her and I saw all four shows that weekend front row and it was awesome to see her it was awesome to see her in the role because we, we thought we'd never see her do it. And we right. thought this is the only time she would do it. And it was fun to see her from the first performance of that weekend to the last performance, how she worked on the role, to see how she, mm-hmm. how she developed as a performer in that mm-hmm. role. So that was fun to see that. It was also the same with Warpaint when I saw that show, which wasn't a great oh, show, but I saw no. I saw that a lot because I, it was on. basically, I took it as a concert of two ladies singing great songs, wearing hats and gloves. Like yes. I didn't care about the yes. but Yes, but, but with um, but, but then I saw it, um, Gypsy, back to Gypsy. I, then I went to City Center and saw it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I never got back to see it when it was the run of uh. for whatever stupid reason. But then I bought Patti LuPone a dirty martini after a performance and she yelled at me. That's the whole story. So. I love that. <laughs> well, I mean, Gypsy is when anybody asks me what my favorite Golden Age musical is, I, I always just before they can stop like ask it's gypsy it was the yeah, last show it was the last show i did before i one of the last shows i did before i moved to new york to like become an actor um but it was and it's like imprinted so heavily on me and there's like uh like the other day it was so funny the day um angela lansbury's birthday i was uh doing an interview with a friend and we were doing bed novice broomsticks and so yes. we were talking about her and we were talking about her rose and then i immediately pull up Instagram and you had posted video of her roses turn. And I went, it's kismet. I mean, it's, it's also kismet. her birthday, but, but I yeah, mean, yeah. I, I bought a few years ago at the Broadway flea market. I bought uh, a sealed copy of her gypsy on vinyl. Oh, and awesome. so I will pull that out every now and then, but a gypsy is just a very, very important show to I me. I have her gypsy on vinyl too, Angela's, and I played it yesterday. It's just uh, in her honor. It's so but. lovely because I've got, I'm one of those people, I've got every gypsy that's available on vinyl, uh, even Tyne Dailies. Um, yeah. And, you know, so it's one of those. And then I've got, I wish Patty's had been released on vinyl, uh, but that's it just was. Me being, was it? It was. I oh. have it. Yeah. Well, I need to hunt that down then because it's the only <laughs> one that I don't have. <laughs> yeah, I found it on a random seller on eBay. Who of course. They, they did a limited print of it as they do sometimes in some of these shows. Yeah. So I want to know as we talk, wh- how where is your where does your connection to Patty come from? Is it from Sunset Boulevard and kind of that drama of of yes. Of um, it's where my discovery of Patty came was. I was at a cast party when I was in this really. Um, really bizarre production of the music man in in my hometown um and we were uh 
we were in like watching someone was watching old tony awards one of, of the course um, of course the director who was like much older than us was like educating the youth about like like vintage tony awards and he pulled on the 1988 tony awards and there was patty singing anything goes in <laughs> this like grainy vhs copy of a copy of a copy mm-hmm, and i was like what mm-hmm. is this i need more of it immediately <laughs> and i was i was 16 everything happened when i was 16 apparently of course and of course. um and then i and then i discovered through like just i had been obsessed with the glenn close sunset boulevard cast mm-hmm. recording and then one day i randomly heard this other version of uh with with as if we never said goodbye that wasn't glenn close and i was like who is this because they are singing it and they are they are they Liza Minnelli like who is this they have like a very like the voice is so mm-hmm, big mm-hmm. and I was very confused why there was like this London production but Glenn Close like I was I didn't understand multiple productions as a kid anyway mm-hmm. my long-winded answer to your question it was like those two things mm-hmm. around 16 years old and I became a huge fan and then I just I don't know she's one of those people who I've always been a fan of and my admiration for her only grows stronger. Mm-hmm. But I also have grown to also learn to put her not in a hero status to just know mm-hmm. like she is, she is an actor and I really appreciate what she does, but I don't feel like I need to like go and meet her after a show and have mm-hmm. her be my friend. Mm-hmm. I have a distance because <laughs> yeah. I know that like it might not go well or whatever. Yeah. It's not, it's not her responsibility to like me. I just nope. like what she does on stage. Yeah. She, she was very, I will say she's very kind at the stage door of gypsy. I got my signature. That is my pint of the pound interaction that I need. Uh, yes. That is, you know, uh, you know, that, that is the one that is my story that I need. I don't need uh, any, any other interactions. Cause yeah, I know they're not going to go <laughs> necessarily I know, I know. how I well, plan. I'm- I remember the first time I saw Patty at, in person and my mom took me um, and I was probably like 19 and it was the reopening of a new theater in Toledo called the Valentine Theater and Patty was the, she was doing her concert Matters mm-hmm. of the Heart and they had all these dignitaries and it was like a, it, like every like local Toledo celebrity was mm-hmm. there and um, they had this like little wine station or champagne station. And I was like drinking champagne at 19 years old. I felt very fancy. Yeah, I had course, my bleach blonde hair with blonde tips. And um, this young gal came up to me in this ill-fitting gown and was like talking to me and um, like chatting about like how we're both young and drinking champagne and isn't that cool. And she was there with a much older man and I was there with my mom. I'm like, well, I gotta go back find my mom and give her some champagne. And we talked for maybe 10 minutes. Like her and I had this conversation because we were the only ones that were our age at this thing. Of course. And then and then the show starts and all these people are coming out to like, to like, I don't know, the mayor came out and read a thing and then someone else came out and they said, and then the mayor said, and now for our local Toledo celebrity, Miss Katie Holmes. And it was Katie Holmes. And I love that. And so then I go back to college. So I'm like, I don't know who Katie Holmes is. I had no, I had not a clue. And then I went to my my friends and I was like, who are all women? And I was like, so I saw Pat Lapone. It was so cool, so cool. I'm like, oh, and then I also met Katie Holmes. And they're like, what? <laughs> but I'm like, no, but Patty, it's all about Patty. I don't care about this Katie person. <laughs> Was that 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 was probably around the Dawson Creek side? Dawson's Creek time, yeah. Oh, era, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no. Oh, no. I would much rather, yeah. I would much rather watch old Tony clips than watch Dawson's Creek. But you know, James Vanderbeek, who can't love. Oh, I love him. Yeah. Um. No. Yeah. Oh, Patty is just. She is. She is just a. She's such a thing. Mm -hmm. 
And I think I, it's one of those things that I'm like, I don't know how theater historians will talk about the experience of like her life and times and what, well, kind of one, what the last 15 years of musical theater has been like, uh, as yeah. like an industry, uh, in, but it's, you know, just, I, I was up the street at the Gershwin the day that the, uh, infamous stopping of the show happened and a friend was watching the show and texting. And so like, those are just those key moments that I think of that I was like, how are we going to talk about this in the future? I know. And be like, no, this person was an incredible talent, but this have person you, have you was heard also... The, the, have you heard the story behind that, though? The, the coda to that? Kind of. Yes, kind of. So uh, it was, um, it, it, everyone kind of knew it, but it was mm -hmm. confirmed. It, was, it, was, it had been confirmed for a while, but it finally got confirmed, like, in a, in a very big way recently, because that photographer was actually a photographer who was a sanctioned photographer like shooting patty's mm -hmm. final days in gypsy and patty forgot that she was out in the audience taking pictures of her final performance and yelled at her and then that same photographer um, took a photo shoot of patty quite recently a couple months ago for the reopening of company and introduced herself and said by the way i'm the one that you kicked out of the theater and like then they had a little social media moment which went I a little that. viral but yeah, I love that she just That's lost wonderful. her shit over like just a, a journalist photographer. <laughs> Which honestly, that show was being so followed and it was like so captioned. It was one of like, of course, there was someone you know official in the audience taking photos and sure, yeah. you know, I you I always guarantee that at every musical performance, at least fourteen gays are illegally recording. Um, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, because you know this isn't the days where we have to sell grainy VHSs of a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy of rent i know um, the kids don't understand how difficult it was back in the day to get a recording of something that you wanted to see so i went to amda for conservatory and yeah i will say the the reason to go is the library because like one i had the amazing regina o'malley that taught one of my classes and she was just an absolute gem anyone who has gone to amda knows regina but so they had taught us this class that was like watching musical theater clips through time and talking about why they're significant and when we got to gilbert and sullivan the golden age you know it's Wait one a of minute. those There's things a class for this i uh -huh. would love to take that yeah class. it's it's like a one credit class for you know for kids who are coming because like they kind of got to get everybody up on on speed to like figure out musicals and the history of musical theater. And you've got, yeah. you know, you've got kids who are from New York that are there and kids that are from LA, but you also have kids that are from like Marietta and like the middle of the mountains of Georgia sure. and all yeah. that, you know? Yeah. And so they've got to bring them up to speed. So we kind of know, and it was typically like pinnacle performances. Well, one day Regina set us down and we watched like 14 different performances of cabaret and maybe this time from different productions and one of them one of them included a 21 year old judy dench playing uh sally bowles yes. and it led us to the conversation of okay this was in okay we get this was like a their version of a pro shoot during previews and rehearsals but like the idea that we only have some copies of performances because someone smuggled a literal visa like giant piece of recording equipment Isn't into the wild? theater well it's even like the idea of, of copies of rent from 1996 that yeah 
you know, they weren't small VHS, you know, VHS recorders. They no. had to have been put somewhere. There was an art to it. What they would do, mm-hmm. I understand it. Um, what they would do is they would have their friends book tickets all around the person filming and they'd have a pad of their friends to protect them from the ushers. So it was a whole coordination. It wasn't just like, I'm going to slip in today. It was like, we have to plan and get a block of tickets so that I can film this and we can sell it and we can make money, which, you know, the ethics of that are debatable. But still, we have these performances. We get to see Stephanie Mills singing in The Wiz. We get to see Mm -hmm. Donna McKechnie kicking her her feet off or whatever. We get to see these things that would have been lost Mm -hmm. because of these intrepid people with their VHS camcorders the size of toasters. It's so true. And I'm so thankful for those things because, like, you can just see... A, a lot of these things that other than a Tony performance or other, it's even right. why Rosie O'Donnell's show was so important in the nineties yes. because she was featuring, you know, she I put should have the, mentioned that that was one of the things, one she, of the things she really... put the women from the life on her show to do yes. my body, my business, which one of my favorite shows of all time too. <laughs> but you know, it's just one of those things that we've occasionally had those pioneers that has just yes. been so interesting to, but I mean, now everyone's a musical theater fan like it's cool to like musical theater now and you know it's, isn't that it's so encouraging to like uh, have that be cool again because i remember the, like i had no one to talk to about it mm-hmm, and i had to pretend mm-hmm. that i didn't like it when people asked me what i had on like i didn't have an mp3 player back then but what types of music did you listen to i was like oh uh, uh, i like like cast recordings no i yeah. can't say that that's mm-mm, not the thing mm-mm. you say but now like kids can say that and you're cool oh yeah i mean oh yeah you're still being nerded in some groups but it's you i guess it's easier to find your tribe now that it was when you're oh yeah a, a girl at work a girl at work the other day uh, uh my phone was down when i was clocking in and she went she like slammed my shoulder and she went you're listening to six i love that show and i was like <laughs> I hope everyone in the world is listening to six right now. Of um, course. But it's so funny to like, then we got put in a booth together to like have this like 19 year old who isn't into theater geeking out about like, oh my God, we already got to go see Beetlejuice in April. I'm so excited. It's reopening and blah, blah, blah. And wouldn't it be great if they brought a production here? Cause, and it's, it's so interesting that. to just be able to like, or see everyone wearing Broadway merch when they walk into the theme park I work at, I just mm-hmm. go, you know what you can say what you will about like hamilton and things but like the fact that we have a pro shot of that show yes and uh, well and like thank god for english theater because they've been doing the pro shots for years and nt live and just we have so much theater available on our fingertips now which i think a lot of people were able to finally discover during the pandemic and i hope that i hope that producers take the lead from what happened during the pandemic and try to find ways to make theater more accessible for people who can't get out and see it because the thing that has also changed since we were kids is the cost of a theater ticket is mm-hmm, so ridiculous mm-hmm, that people can't mm-hmm. see anything. Mm-hmm. And if you can make the model, and I don't, I don't know if that's ever going to change. I think it's just going to get worse. Mm-hmm. But if they can make it more, if they can find ways to get people to see theater, because I don't think it's going to damage the box office numbers. People who want to no. go see the show on Broadway are going to see it. And people who will see it on their phone through a grainy bootleg, because that's mm-hmm. what they can get, will see it. But they would gladly buy another option if they could see a higher quality version. Mm-hmm. 
So I would did, love if they would do something with that, gain on what we've learned with the pandemic. Did I pirate a copy of Wicked in three different sections online in 2004 that took three days to download and watch? Yes, but the moment I moved to New York, did I rush to the Gershwin to see a show? Well, yes, mm-hmm. I rushed every night to play the lottery until I won. But, you know, and it it's didn't not a detract- replacement. It's, no, it's a, it's a, it's a mm-hmm. creative fuel. It's a thing yeah. that gets you reliving that moment. Well, and like, thank God we've got, you know, this sounds awful, but like, thank God for some of the bootleggers because, you know, unless you're lucky enough to be able to go to Lincoln Center, a lot of shows don't get recordings. Like, I'm so happy I have a a bootleg recording of Head Over Heels because I loved that show. And I, getting to revisit Bonnie Milligan, like once a week and, and Jessica Phillips, like, that whole like it's just one of those things that uh you know we're talking about wicked being released as a movie coming up soon and the kind of continued toils of casting and it continues to be these like 18 and 19 year olds which is not detracting from their ability but yeah. it's like obviously uh mark platt is not uh and david stone are not looking at the aesthetics of their show and so it's like you know yes they're 19 but we also need somebody that has the delicacy um and vocal abilities to really tackle these roles and it's like do we need a, a major motion picture or do we need a motion picture release of the best pro shot ever of wicked and i kind of like give us a pro shot of wicked like go yeah. that old cat's route and put together an all-star cast of that show in multiple languages and put it in a warehouse and film it like let's do this so i would love to, I, I i i completely agree i think sometimes the movie industry wants to reimagine something for film and maybe Maybe you don't have to. I mean, let's not look at Diana the Musical as a staple for anything. But <laughs> but there are shows like Hamilton was great. I thought that um, I I never really connected with um, with Come From Away on the cast recording. I never mm-hmm. did. Then when I saw the pro shoot, I loved it. I uh-huh. really, I just, I fell in love with that show because of the pro shoot. And it mm-hmm. was really well done. And um, yeah, and I think oftentimes when you can film something like a live show with a live audience, it gives it that electricity. Because you said at the beginning of this podcast, the audience is the, like the other part of the show. Mm-hmm. When you extract that from an inherently theatrical piece and put it on film, it just something is lost. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's yeah. even like, I didn't think I would be thankful that I have access to the SpongeBob pro shoot every day, the politics of that recording aside. Um, you know, there are just certain shows that like, I'm so thankful, or even with um, Broadway HD, like, even though they're mm-hmm. a little pricey, you know, during they were releasing things for free, like, yeah, I don't love Phantom of the Opera, I respect it as importance, but like, I would drop everything and watch the Sierra Bogas Ramin Royal Albert Hall anniversary reproduction of that show. Yeah. And like, cause it's just so good. And they're it's such a great Christine. Yeah. And it's, I love that I literally have those or the Raul Esparza company I have on DVD mm-hmm. that I am so mm-hmm. thankful for. And I just went the Into the Woods with Bernadette <sighs> Peters. Yes. That was a oh. milestone for me as a kid. I like was, I watched that until I broke the the, the mm-hmm. VHS of it. Well, and I was just talking with a friend about that about like how lucky did so, how do we get so lucky with Sondheim and the American 
playhouse that yeah. we have Sunday in the park with George little night music, uh, uh, into the woods that we've got all these. And we even have like yeah. Pippin and Godspell. Like, right. We have right. so many things from this time that like, otherwise with the exception of a grainy Tony awards performance, we have like, I would die for a full awesome production video of the original Evita because of how many times I re I revisit that new Argentina Tony performance. Just cause when someone's like, I don't get Patty's vocal. She's not that good. And I go, excuse me, hold on. <laughs> I know. The, the bummer with that, with that performance though, is that for whatever year, the producer decided to have everything, um, uh, lip synced. So yep. they, it was all dubbed. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm like, Oh, they didn't yep. have to do that. The one year that we really needed like big vocal singing and she could have done it. Right. She could have. Yeah. But. She, I mean, you know, uh, so it's, I, and I just hope it's something we can keep kind of moving forward I with. Agree. Yeah. Um, and you know, and I, I'm even hoping that like, so like I work for universal, I don't speak for the brand, whatnot. And we've just produced cats and dear Evan Henson and we're producing wicked. Uh, and so it's one of those things that I, even though I didn't love either of those films, I don't love Dear Evan Hansen. I want to, I, all I keep at work, I just keep whispering into the walls, like, keep doing, keep going, please keep producing I know, musicals. I know. Keep doing them. I mean, and we're doing Wicked. Hopefully, Wicked will actually be the success for them that can, like, make sure that they go, oh, yeah, let's keep doing these musicals. Or I'm like, but the you Sunset know, Boulevard movie is not happening. It's so. unfortunately, <laughs> but, and I keep going, maybe we need that Beetlejuice musical movie. Maybe that would be great. Maybe we don't. I don't great. know. But Beetlejuice I, is I, another one I would love to see. It's one of those shows that I, 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 again, I wasn't like really into it when I heard the Me first few numbers, mm -hmm. but I've really grown to really like it. And I can't wait. I'm so glad that it's coming back on Broadway. Well, and when we talk about a uh, fans, like new musical theater fans and like TikTok, yeah. like that's completely because of like TikTok and the internet fans and yeah. how everybody's been talking about it. I was like, y'all better go buy those tickets right now. Y'all bitch to moan, y'all buy those yeah. tickets. You gas this up. You better go out there and support it. <laughs> so about to say the producers never listen. So when they listen, like Jimmy Nederlander never budges. So like you, you make him eat his words. Yes. But yes. This kind of makes me want to transition while we're talking into like, you know, it's uh my, one of my most watched TikToks is only because I duetted with Megan Hilty. It's the only reason why people watched it. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's simple stupid video but it's got you know ten thousand views on it just because it was a megan hilty video yeah um and what we're talking about everybody kind of drawing and like coming to even mandy patinkin who has a lovely tiktok presence um so what, pure what and his kind, wife are such a couple i love them anyway. so much i just no, i love them so much and you know yeah. i i always when i first found your videos i was like this guy's like the Tim Gunn of theater, like because you have, you just have a very similar timbre of voice. I oh guess. yeah, and I love yeah. Tim Gunn. I love Tim Gunn. Um, but it's what was that kind of first thing that made you go? Okay, I think this is the that that platform that I can I can start playing with and doing some yeah. things with. Ah, oh, what was it? I think it was um a few things, and the I like the fact that. First, it was the silliness factor. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just, if you look at my early TikToks, it like, they're just like all the trends. I was doing them all and I was just like giggling with delight um, at every stupid thing. And then one day I did a TikTok about my, like my half-life as a, as a theater critic. And I kind of talked about what I did and that like blew up all of a sudden. It was the first mm -hmm. video I had that had views. And I was like, oh, I guess this is my niche. And then I started talking about other stuff and I realized I liked it because First, it forces you to get your information contained to 60 mm -hmm. seconds. Now you can do three minutes, but I try to avoid that. So I think brevity is always great. 
Um, it lets you connect with other people really quickly. And people, it's such a huge, everyone's on TikTok, mm -hmm. really. You can find your tribe really easily of people who are similar to you. And you can tell their authenticity pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. You know, if they're like, if they, if you jive with them, if you vibe with them, as the kids say. And um, I think that's pretty cool to like find people who have an interest and you can hear them speak in their own way authentically. authentically. Um, and then I think it's just the, the ease of it. It's the moment it starts becoming fun is the moment mm -hmm. that I'll give it up. And there's been times where I'm like, this sucks. I don't know if mm -hmm. I like this anymore, especially with the whole thing with the Black Lives Matter and the mm -hmm. fact that that was, there was shadow banning going on with that and uh, mm -hmm. things we've heard. I think every social media platform is going through a moment right now, but TikTok had its moment too. But yeah, I think it's that. It's the brevity of it. It's the connection with people. It's the authenticity of the messages. Um, and it's, you know, it's a social media platform, so it's designed to make you addicted to it. So, <laughs> you know, it's. It, I know exactly what it's doing to me when I open it up because I'm like, hey, this is, it's feeding right into what I want to hear right now. Yep. So it, it's, it, there's a bit of that too. It, it, it is the first thing that i've seen in a long time where you can get information pertinent information out instantly yeah and like because of the algorithm the moment like if you're on theater TikTok, it's up it's there which i yeah. think has been really important because um something i also appreciate about what you do is your work is funny but then you will have your TikToks where you are just breaking down what is currently happening and uh mm -hmm. if you i'm gonna uh pimp your link tree for a moment if everybody goes there you've been doing a lot of work uh to talk about safety in reopening theater and mm -hmm. and the kind of controversy that's been happening that you know we've uh, technicians and the the workers of theater have been discussing quietly for years um but why do you think it's been so important that in the last year we've actually finally had the time to sit down and start talking about inhumane theater practices yeah. through the spectrum of something like TikTok? yeah um i think that there has been a lot of i think the the phrase the show must go on is one of those mm -hmm. things that people took for, with a lot of pride show people did that they would do anything to put on a show and i think that was for a while that made sense and i think now people are realizing for a lot of reasons not just the covid situation but mm -hmm. just for mental health reasons for the ability to like just take time off because you're due time off the fact that shows are much more complicated and much more strenuous mm -hmm. than they used to be all of that stuff i think people are now reconciling what that that phrase the show must go go on means um, and where I think we were seeing it really um, become toxic was during the pandemic, mm -hmm. when we were seeing a lot of shows doing unsafe theater. They were literally doing shows with children without masks indoors and like posting it on social media because for whatever reason, I don't know why, but whatever, it was putting people in unsafe situations, especially children. And then I, I just was really pissed off because mm -hmm. mainly because like I like selfishly i miss theater as mm -hmm. much as anyone i would love to do a show i've like i hadn't done a show in like 20 years and right before the pandemic hit i got cast in the in sweeney todd my favorite musical next mm. to gypsy and we were getting ready to go we had our tech rehearsal and then it stopped and and then i'm seeing people doing you know shows again i'm like 
that, like you, first of all, that sucks because we all want to do it. There's no reason why you're better than any of us. Mm-hmm. Second of all, you're putting these people in danger. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's, that's the primary thing is putting people in danger. Right. But there was a moment like that. I was just like, this sucks. These people are just really just being incredibly selfish. And then I, I, so I posted a few things, just like the blatant disregard of safety measures. And I got a lot of heat from a lot of people in that, that theater community. A lot of people like were really upset with me uh, on the first few posts I had about that. But I had a lot more people coming to me saying, well, you got to hear what's going on over here or you have to mm-hmm. know what's going on over here. And my inbox, my DMs in my inbox was filled with stories that I was just flabbergasted at. That like mm-hmm. one company was doing an audition for a musical. This is at the height of COVID, like at the height when like death rates were like skyrocketing where they were doing an audition, which involved kissing. They were doing a kissing audition for a show. And it was like, you have to feel comfortable having a kissing audition. What the fuck? (laughs) You know, that's just what was going on at the time. And I was like, no one's talking about this. I don't know why, Mm -hmm. but no one's talking about this. And I thought, I'm going to talk about it. I, mm-hmm. And maybe it's because I have privilege and the fact that I don't work in the industry and I don't feel that I'm going to make a name for myself of being blacklisted. Mm-hmm. I think there was a lot of fear by some people of being blacklisted from doing shows. And I was like, I don't have that fear. Um, mm-hmm. And and so I started talking about it. And then, so I'm not going to put all of it on myself that I just did this amazing right. thing. I think it was one of those things that like, I find myself talking about it and mm-hmm. and other people were too, but I think I was like really like going a little insane about it, rightly so. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I created a do not work COVID list that I have mm-hmm. on my link tree from, from theater companies that were really doing blatantly ridiculous stuff mm-hmm. and putting it on their social media with evidence. Um, but then there's been a whole other group of people who have been who have been talking about uh, unsafe conditions as it relates to being um, in uh, theater schools, what they mm-hmm. what they're teaching kids and how that's and stuff I had never been exposed to because mm-hmm. I didn't go to school for theater school. Um, and then of course, and then the conversation has now shifted dramatically. Um, not that it hadn't been happening for a long time, but it really came to a peak with the Scott Rudin stuff. Mm-hmm. And people really started talking about, okay, what does this mean for us as an industry? Mm-hmm. Why do we allow this to happen? Why did so many people know it was happening and not say anything? Why are so many people who are in positions of power not saying anything right now? It just really, everyone kind of went, oh, okay, we get it. Mm-hmm. We really get it. What's going on here? Mm-hmm. That this is why it's happening is because people aren't saying anything and it well, allowed it to happen. And I think it's great because we're also seeing like Walnut Street in Philadelphia imploding because like yeah. for anybody that's worked in, especially the East Coast for years, I don't know a single person that has anything good to say about working at Walnut Street, but they work there anyway because they're from the Philly area and they knew it was a step or um, the Berkshire uh there's an Instagram account about what's happening in the Berkshire community, not even just in theater, but like Williamstown getting called out. And then also like mm-hmm. other theaters like Barrington and Berkshire theater group up there yeah. when we've got Steppenwolf getting called out. And uh, you know, it's, it's one of those yeah. things that it's like, if you we're at the point where uh, I'm kind of a theater person that I'm going, listen, if you can't figure out how to make, theater work and pay your people it means your theater shouldn't be open 
Like yeah. if you, and it was the same thing I felt about community theaters being still running shows and like MTI letting people still do shows. Like yeah. you could pull those rights. Now, granted, it's never stopped a community theater from doing a show without rights, sure. but I'm like, you're not serving your community. If you are bringing your community together to break rules and like do a shitty production of Cinderella. Like no one needs, you know, it was like the, the, there were production. so many COVID lines happening this yeah. past year. Well, so or many like COVID lines. The the uh, the the Mamma Mia that happened in a church parking yeah, lot. I saw those that, videos. That like yeah. forty people all got COVID from. Yeah. And yeah. they ju- and the woman running the community theater said, "Sometimes we have to make heavy sacrifices for our art." Oh, and I no. was like. I have an amazing background in community theater and the community theaters I came from are absolutely brilliant. But again, you are part of your community. You're serving your community. You're funded through your community. How dare you literally be saying your community should die for you to play Donna and Mama Mia. Yeah. Like sit down, Linda. Like I don't <laughs> like, it's just those things like, and what are we teaching? And it's been nice to have a lot of students step up and go, Oh no, we're not going to take abuse in the name of preparing for art anymore. Like I just finished with my master's last year in design and like leaving and then seeing a lot of our students stand up and go, absolutely. We're not taking this anymore and watching a lot about the older tenured faculty who uh, have been a problem, like dangerously a problem for years go, you know, we're stepping down. Fine. Fine. We'll step down. And it's like, good. Good. Y'all don't need to be collecting $150,000 a year and make people, you know, have eating disorders or hate themselves or feel like they're not going to work like beautiful art, like beautiful souls create beautiful art. So why are you literally clipping, clipping the wings off those souls? Like I just, That's, that's such, that's so well put. And I think it's just, it's, I think the past year and a half has really made us question a lot of things and hold people to task because a lot of people involved in theater had nothing but time on their hands for a long yep. time. And they had, they had a moment to look back and like process what had happened to them and tell their story authentically. A lot of them used TikTok to do that. Yes. And it was, uh, I think, hearing these stories and realizing that they aren't all just one-off things. There's a pattern here that's been happening and it's been happening mm-hmm. for a really long time. And I hope that that momentum and the energy that's come out of this doesn't get lost the moment that we're all singing and dancing on stage again and we get yep. dazzled by the mist, by, by, by the Broadway lights. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, th- I think what's lovely is, so I was part of a, a state Shakespeare festival that reopened this past summer. And like, we all got there and we immediately were like, this is not it. This is not what we're reopening for. This is not, and you know, I have an artistic director go look at the changes we've made, but you know, it was, it was a hard year. So we couldn't make all the changes. So the rest are coming, but like, enjoy yeah. your 19 hour work day oh, <laughs> outdoors. Yeah. And so, you know, it's just one of those things that we're just like, no, this is not it. We're not doing this. And to have 19 year old, you know, crew chiefs who stood up and said, no, my crew's not doing this. No, I'm not putting in extra work. No, we will see you tomorrow morning. I was like, good for them. go off kids go off. Yeah. Yeah. They're not putting up with that shit because no. they know they haven't been, they haven't been, um, they've had the ability to hear from people who've gone through it and yep. tell them this is what it's like. And this is not what you need. And they have enough, um, they have enough confidence in themselves to be able to know that that's not what they need. And I think and that whole thing around, like the other thing that I, I, I didn't mean to interrupt mm-hmm. you, but the other no, thing you're good. You're go, go, go. Is the, the whole thing that like, 
I was told, and one of the reasons why I never pursued acting, because even though I would love to do it, is like, if you can think of anything else you want to do, do that, Mm -hmm. that thing. I believe that for a lot, like most of my life, like if, well, if I can do something else, I shouldn't do acting. Like, what the fuck? Like, not that I would ever be a professional because I'm not that good, but like, I use that as an excuse. Mm-hmm. But there's no, there, that that's a myth. It's a mm-hmm. myth, especially since mm-hmm. people can't live off of being an actor. You have mm-hmm. to have, and people mm-hmm. who are successful usually have privilege because they mm-hmm. can just do that thing. Anyway, it's just one of those things that was no. kind of an eye opener for me too. Well, and it's funny, they've all said that for years, but now suddenly Actors' Equity is like, did you do one semi-professional dinner theater production in the last two years? Well, you're a member of Actors' Equity now, just send us that contract. You know, yeah. it's one of those things. It's just... It's, I would love, I would love to see a horrible bosses, but it's all the Broadway producers having to like do a, do a eight show week at Christmas time for, for, you know, IATSE minimum and like equity minimum. I want to see, I want to see you call a show. I want to see the president of, you know, honestly, at this point, I want to see the president of actors equity have to go call a show and run wicked eight shows a week and then tell the stage managers that they still have to be considered actors in their contracts. Like we're just at the point where I'm also now is like, you know what, I'm going to step away from the industry for a little while it'll still be there when i come back but we need some things to change first and i'm going to work on this from the outside because like i'm tired everybody else is tired but i'm tired yeah <laughs> you know yeah. And, and, and i think I, I think the thing is like i don't work in the industry like mm-hmm. I'm, and i i'm a fan and i think what i've learned is that um to be a fan of something that you love as much as i love theater i have to be i also always have to understand how the thing that i love is made and mm-hmm. understand what the problems are and the ways to improve that are so that's been a thing I've learned over the past year and a half. Certainly I knew all this stuff. I knew like how mm-hmm. shows were done, but I didn't understand all of the, like any major operation, yeah. there's there's mm-hmm. dysfunction. Um, Lord knows I've worked, I've worked in corporate America for 25 years. I know dysfunction. Yes. But <laughs> I always I always assume that like the arts was like this happy place where people just were creative and everyone accepted each other. And it's not true. It's all a myth. Yeah. And I'm like, Oh, even there, it's bad. It's yeah. just, it's, it's, which is obvious, but it took me a long time to realize that. So, well, and I think this is a good point to encourage all the fans because people are like throwing money at Broadway. Like people are seeing Hamilton for the fourth time because it's one of the only things open. But it's like, you know, this is where people, the fans' money will really speak because it's like, go to choose to the shows where you've had an ethical producer or where there haven't been reports. Or if yeah. you have seen, you know, tweet Lin-Manuel Miranda with those, with those, uh, all your uh, ticket rec- uh, stubs since you reopened and be like, yo, this issue with trans dressing rooms needs to fucking change at your theater. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you have power over there, my dude. You got yeah. Disney power now. Like, man, you better call that in. But it's like yeah. those things, it's yeah. like, let's use that money for our fans at home like you might love that show but like listen let's not you know let's not throw money at scott rudin shows let's not you know let's let's make the choices to also not support the shows that are hiring problematic actors like we're we're those things have you know come to a turn i think it's this is where when a broadway ticket is 200 dollars, your money truly does speak wonders so like i encourage everybody go see chicken and biscuits or chicken and chicken waffle. i've totally 
chicken and biscuits. Yeah, I chicken would totally and biscuits, see yeah. that. And it's like I would totally we, see that. We've got so many great new plays that are being written by black playwrights, but then it's like cool. Let's get all of the new Asian playwrights coming and native playwrights and mm-hmm. all mm-hmm. of these voices that have not been produced because we have theaters that are finally open to produce them. So like, let's go put that money in. Start producing shows, friends. Start producing your friends' work. Yeah, uh, I completely agree, and I think it's a. Uh, it's like as much as I would love to see like Paradise Square, the new the new mm-hmm. musical coming and trying out in Chicago. Garth Trebinsky's producing it, so I'm mm-hmm. not going to touch that with a ten foot pole. Yeah. And I have people inviting me, like, "Can you come see it?" Or like, hey, "I'll get you a ticket." And I'm like, "Nope, no. I'm not doing it. I just yep. I just can't." So I think that you you have power with your pocketbook and yes. your your phone if you have something that you want to say. And certainly, uh, like, it's it's really just getting yourself educated about what's happening mm-hmm. out there in the world. And, and it's okay. I think the other thing I've learned too, is that it's okay to see something as problematic and still in, enjoy it, mm-hmm. but understand that it's problematic. Yes. yes. Um, and that's, that's, that's a balance that you, that mm-hmm. every show, everything has, especially classic musicals, something going oh, yeah. on mm-hmm. that has not mm-hmm. aged well. So, <laughs> But also look at like what they're tra- like, we have that great, that we got the new tour of Oklahoma that's going to go around that's done some really awesome casting things. So like, yeah. you know, yeah. figure figure out those things where if it's a show you really love, support the right productions of it. But yeah, uh, and get and get educated. Yeah. Yeah. But Bob, thank you so much for coming on my show today. I appreciate this chat with you. It's been so delightful. Yeah, you are just uh you are just fantastic. I'm so oh. glad you reached out to me and um I'm I'm this has been so fun. And well, uh we'll have to do it again. Yeah, absolutely. I, I will join whenever you want. Whatever topic you want, I will. I will join. Why don't you? I tell mean, the, if I if I know anything about it, I, we love topic. it. We love it. Well, why don't you tell the kids at home where they can find you so they can all jump to your sphere of the interwebs? Yeah, so you can find me on TikTok at Broadway Bob and on Instagram at the Broadway Bob. And my um and there on my Instagram, I have a links to all of my things, including my podcast, The Sunset Project. Hi, I'm Matt, a.k.a. Stormageddon, and I'm the host of CPOV Autographs at CertainPOV.com. It is a bi-weekly interview series where I interview folks from all over the arts, from writers to comedians to magicians to musicians, even actors, historians, podcasters, pretty much anyone who's willing to chat with me for a little bit. If you like interesting conversations with even more interesting people, go to CertainPOV.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, music is life and life is good. CPOV CertainPOV.com